He's warming up now. Yeah. Listen to this. Yeah, it's warm. It might even be uncomfortably warm. That's life. Deal with it. Shut up about it. Halibut aren't majestic. I've learned that. Nobody is allowed to say my name. Bungie! Oh, I am going down. The cord cut. My hands did not touch the water. I'm springing up near the bridge. Free fall again. Down near the water. I did it. Dory Monson joins us. Good morning, my friend. You get fired up every time I hear that. It's a great way to start a Friday. I got to go do that again. Will you go do that with me, Todd? If I do you it again? That, you ask that every time. And every time I say to you, will you will you come and do something with me? And that is, uh, we'll go drive race cars together. I will do that also. Yes. Okay. All right. What, deal. What's I will, the fastest I, you've ever driven? Well, I don't know that I can say exactly how fast it would be. Um, probably, I'm thinking of a particular racetrack, probably got up to about 160 on the racetrack. Oh, that tops um, me. And, and, well, that's on a racetrack. And well, so, so is mine. Yeah. Well, I, hit, where, where uh, I hit 150 at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway driving okay, a NASCAR. But you were driving by yourself, right? Yes, driving by myself. It had a pace car in front of me that... Yeah. Uh, really was a buzzkill. <laughs> he wouldn't let me really turn that yeah. baby loose. But man, those cars—they're like it's like they're suction to the track. I've oh, I felt incredible. safer going 120 through a banked curve than I felt feel driving down I five. I uh, see. I grew up racing cars. Started racing quarter midgets when I was a little kid, like seven years old or nine years old, and started racing open wheel modifieds when I was uh, 14 or 15 and raced against adult men. Wow. Um, and one day, the coolest thing in the world happened is, is we were racing our quarter midgets. And who, who drives up but Tom Sneva? Oh, and, and Indy he, 500 winner Tom Sneva. Indy 500 winner Tom Sneva drove up, and we were at this event in a, in a, in a, in a, actually in a mall parking lot showing off the cars, trying to get people to sign up. And my dad knew the Sneva family. I grew up like watching them race. Tom came over, was looking at my car, and my dad said, would you mind if Mr. Sneva drove the car? No. And so he got in the car. That car would go 115 miles per hour uh, with this methanol engine, and it, it weighed like you know 250 pounds, small, inch off the ground. And I'll never forget this. He came off, he came off the track, took off the helmet. He looked at me and goes, that is is a blast. Yeah. That is fun. He goes, if you can handle that, you can handle an Indy car. Really? He goes, oh, it's like driving a Cadillac, son. Yeah, one of the proudest moments of my life. Very um, nice. Dory, I think that we can all agree that, that finally we can see why um, Joe Biden was the single most popular presidential candidate in history. Yes. He yesterday took America to his bosom. Yep, and he comforted us with his his competence, and his grace, and his unbelievably crisp awareness of what's going on in the world. Yeah, I was afraid for a while that it was just a cult of personality <laughs> with Joe Biden, but now I'm seeing the people even dug beyond that and saw a core competency that is uh, and, and a brilliance that is maybe unrivaled in the history of the United States of America. So, so yeah, it was an easy decision, and I'm telling you, I've already got for 2024 my four more years yard sign ready to go with Joey Biden. Ooh, see, even pretending. Um, I want to ask you, 
Yes. The moment that, that you've been doing you know, politics in the radio and, and news in the radio for 32 years. When you watched that thing, what was the moment that, that, that at any time did you stop breathing? Not that you died or had a near-death experience, but did you, did you just find yourself breathless with astonishment during that, that press well, it wasn't with astonishment because I, I I was teasing it throughout the day because this event happened during my show yesterday, and we kept saying that Joe, and they kept pushing it back. It was you know nine a.m., eleven a.m. to one one o'clock, and then finally two o'clock he was going to speak, and he doesn't come out until two twenty-five, and, and he sounded, and I'm not saying this with absolute certainty, of course, but. He sounded drugged up to me, just the tone of his voice. And then when he went to the Q&A, he spoke very haltingly with big gap. And it's almost like it, it sounded like somebody was feeding him lines in an earpiece. Now, I'm not saying that that's what was happening, but that was just the tone. But the moment that I found the very most distressing, Todd, was when he first decided to go to questions. I, I even wrote it down. I have my, my notepad from yesterday in front of me. He said, the first person I was instructed to call on is Kelly O'Donnell of NBC. The first person I was instructed to call on. This is the president of the United States of America. And the people who are very closest to him professionally tell him who he must take questions on, presumably because they told Kelly O'Donnell, hey, if you tell us what you're going to ask him, we'll let you go first. And then they were able to scramble together an answer to feed to Joe before uh, before he did call. But just the first person I was instructed to call on, the fact that he doesn't even realize how weak that sounds is a sign of a mind that is not all there because uh, there's never been a president of the United States who would project such weakness and being such in control, or so in control, I should say, of whoever his handlers are than what that line clearly indicated. It is terrifying, and it should terrify everybody in the press corps that they they were sold. I don't even know that they were sold. They just hated Trump so much, in my estimation, that they do anything to get rid of him. They would, you know, uh, they would d- defend the changing of voting rules thirty days in. They would defend pretending it's dangerous to vote in person, but not dangerous to riot. They would hide the Hunter Biden story. That Time Magazine article they did all that to fortify the election. But dang it, they'd never steal one. That would never happen, and yeah. don't even say it would. And so. So, but then I also um, – I remember when Jen Psaki, the first press performance came about, and she said, get your questions in. Everybody hand in your questions. This was a tweet. And I remember thinking, what? They're handing their questions. You mentioned something about Biden speaking haltingly, almost like someone was in his you know ear. What? If I could make an arrangement, I had a, I had a, a stand-in, a front man. They had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats uh, doing all the talking and ceremony. Wow. I, I'd be fine with that. You mean like that? Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's you mean crazy. Like, I, I've not heard that one before. Yeah. And I'll tell you, for me, was um, was I think when Biden said that, A, yes, he has early on that set dementia, in my non-medical opinion. B, he's a deeply corrupted man. He could be owned by Russia. He could be owned by China. He could be owned by Ukraine. He's ownable, malleable. He's all these things. But you know what else, Sorry, This is about the fifth or sixth time. Maybe even, no, it's like the hundredth time. He says this from occasion. Oh, oh look, I'm going to get in trouble here. 
Uh, oh, yeah. Just, uh, uh, and, and reading from notes. And uh, well, I, then the other day he said this. A reporter asked a question from NPR. He said, oh, wait a minute. I, I thought I thought the I thought the question I, I thought it was another uh, question. He yeah. is. I I wonder if he's angry that he's not in charge, and he is like passive aggressively saying, oh, they, "They make me do this." And yeah, uh, it's very weird. And, and uh, I'm going to give you a couple of other things from throughout the day beyond Joe Biden. I woke up at about two a.m. yesterday. Uh, just to, you know, I got to the bathroom in the middle yeah. of the night, and I did what we all we all do. I think I grabbed my phone, which is on my nightstand, just see if there's any breaking news overnight. Yeah. And as I picked up my phone, I see that UK intelligence is warning of a possible imminent attack uh, at the airport in Kabul, and so. We knew. We had intelligence hours in advance. This was about four hours before the attack occurred. And then I looked to see what our United States Army was doing with this intel, because that's that's great intel. Yeah. And the sergeant major of the United States Army is a guy named Michael Grinston. And at 5.53 a.m. yesterday, that's Eastern time, so that's uh, you know 3 a.m. Pacific time, so right after I saw this tweet about the the you know an imminent attack the sergeant major sends out a tweet that says yes he does yes he does and you're going to tell us right after oh, the traffic break what a right tease. after the traffic break let's check traffic on the right way traffic dory show people how this is done uk intelligence tells us 2 a.m. pacific that an attack is imminent uh, before the attack occurred sergeant major of the united states army uh, michael grinston sends out a tweet about how to protect yourselves. If you're an American who's at the gates, you should get away. Uh, if you are thinking about going to the Kabul airport, uh, stay in place in a taxi. No, it didn't say any of those things. His tweet read, diversity is a number. Do you have people that don't look or think like you in the room? Inclusion is listening and valuing those people. Women's Equality Day reminds us we're smarter and more lethal when we come together as an inclusive, cohesive team. Our values demand it. So they are worried about a woke tweet yeah. at the same time that UK intelligence says that a, a potentially devastating terror attack is imminent at the Kabul airport. And, and to me... Uh, yeah, it's great. You know, I, I I think it's fine that we are you know a, a diverse army, of course. But if that's your focus, if that's your reason for being, instead of our reason for being is to kill our enemies and protect our nation. And if we can do it through strength, wonderful. If we have to do it through war, then we will. But we're writing about diversity and inclusion and i have these uh woke word dice next to my microphone that i use during my show all the time it's like every time they send out a tweet they, oh they just rolled it inclusion let me get that word in there and uh it, it's just sickening to me todd that that you know they had that commercial with the the recruit who had two moms and we have enemies that will do anything to destroy the great infidel that is the United States of America. Well, and I guarantee you that China and Russia and the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and ISIS and North Korea, yeah. they're not talking about diversity and inclusion and who has two moms. 
And when, when you're that far off base, then uh, obviously you are set up for doom and failure. And in fact, China is admitting that they are genetically modifying people to be soldiers. They want genetically modified soldiers who are tougher, meaner, bigger, stronger. Oh, incidentally, they'd also like them to be transhuman. That is, that they're able to regenerate limbs, etc. I mean, I know that's a long way off. But they've also admitted that we want to be masters of total war, including biological warfare. Yes, meanwhile, we need to make sure that um, that we go through the um, intersectional wordplay, the cross-game of yeah. intersection or crossword game. It's unbelievable. I want to get to the CDC thing, and then you also noticed something about this Harvard so-called chaplain. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get to that. This was another moment. This is um, Philip Wegman, Real Clear News, tweeted this. Quote, I asked Biden if he personally rejected a recommendation to hold or retake Bagram Air Force Base. He said he asked military, military bla, uh, brass, and they uh, they concluded uh, the, the military that Bagram is not not in much value. Uh, so it's wiser to focus on Kabul. So I, I followed that recommendation. Dory, do you believe? Well, I mean, do you believe that any honest? non-diversity-obsessed military leader would say, uh, Mr. President, we've determined uh, we should have one point of egress from the country. Yeah. Uh, right. Certainly not the fortified Bagram Air Force Base, which is a 12-minute flight by helicopter um, that we could own and uh, defend. We'd like to have one single point of failure, Mr. President. We think that's wise. Yeah, well, the single point of failure is Joe Biden. That's pretty clear. <laughs> Uh, and the thing is, in the press conference, press conference, it was a statement, performance. And a couple of planned questions. But yeah, the performance yesterday, he tried to blame this on Donald Trump. And yeah. of course, he has rejected every other thing that Donald Trump put together, whether it was be, being out of the Paris Accord or the Keystone Pipeline, uh, being energy independent. He's rejected all of those things. He's overturned them. But now he's standing up there and trying to say, well, I had to do it this way because that's what my predecessor put in place. When he has rejected Every other thing. He's opened up the borders, unlike his predecessor. Uh, he's pouring money into a, a inflated economy, unlike his predecessor. And on and on it goes. But this is the one thing where he wanted to honor his predecessor's yeah. uh, mission. And it's just, it's so phony and people are seeing it now uh, and you know both left and right understand that joe biden is a failure as president and let me ask you todd because i've had yeah. uh, a great evolution of thought just since my show yesterday and i'm going to talk about this a great deal uh detail on my show today uh because my my rap has been but if you impeach biden then you have kamala harris and she's even going to be worse uh how how do you feel about that whole thing? Well, I have, uh, you know, that I like to give people nicknames, but it's it's out of a sense of uh, collegiality and joy and friendliness. It's not um, it's not sounding angry on the radio. Right. Um, I have given Kami, uh, Kamala Harris the following nickname. Ready? Uh huh. <laughs> I don't know Cackles? how to spell it. I don't know. No, that's that's when we say when we refer to the VP, that's the name we use. Um, I guess the question is, what what sort of worse? Because then next in line is Nancy Pelosi after, uh, you know, in, in the line of succession. What what kind of worse? You have an obviously malignant person. I don't want to say that she would, you know, um, prostitute herself to, to her beliefs or anything to be, you no. know, VP because nothing like that would ever happen. 
But do you want someone who's an obvious malignant cancer who is actively destructive, or do you want a malleable, frail, forgetful um, old figurehead, you know, a, a portrait of Dorian Gray aged 10,000 years in the future? I don't know. What do you want? Well, uh, here's where I've evolved, because I've always thought Kamala would be even worse. But I had a bit of a revelation last night. If, if somehow Kamala ascended to the presidency, we would have a Senate that is split 50-50 without a Democratic vice president as the tiebreaker. And if Mitch McConnell could hold all 50 Republicans together and reject every vice presidential nominee that Kamala puts forth, and then... They reject the $3.5 trillion boondoggle. They reject the idea of packing the court. They could delay, delay, delay everything until 2022 when it's going to be a an absolute red tidal wave in the House and likely the Senate, the way things are going. And, and all of a sudden, a gridlocked government would mean that the Democrats' plans to destroy this country are stopped with that as long as the 50 Republicans could hold together. So I, for the first time, I'm going to say it on my show for the first time, because I've always thought Biden's better than Kamala. I don't think it is anymore because of the gridlock that would ensue. Yeah, I've often had this conversation with myself. Uh, do I want Staphylococcus A or B? Uh, and or hepatitis A or B, and, and I go back and forth between the diseases. So, no, I think yeah. that's an interesting thought. Uh, you, uh, We have one minute, if that. Yes. You yes. notice something about the new Harvard chaplain and born-again Christians. Well, I saw Paul, and yeah. you're, you, you and I don't hesitate talking about our faith. Let me ask right. you a quick question. Yeah. Do you believe Christianity is superior to all other religions? Well, in that I believe that Christ Jesus is was is God and was God on earth. Yes, I, I believe it is. Okay. I do as well. And that's apparently a very controversial statement. Of course I do. I have free will. I can choose any religion that I want, and this is the one that I've chosen in my adult life. Uh, but people say, oh, that's... Uh, that's just ridiculing other religions. No, I expect that every Muslim would believe that Islam is superior and every Jew would believe that Judaism is superior. But Christianity has become so watered down. I've been, my wife and I have been doing some church shopping and they're talking about social justice issues as much as they're talking about the word. And Harvard hires an atheist to be the president of chaplains and in a brand new poll, Todd, of so-called born-again Christians between the ages of 18 and 39, they say you do not need Jesus to get to heaven, which of course is the <laughs> central tenet kind of, the point of Christianity. Of but yeah. now it's just got to be, oh yeah, all everything's even. I'm, I'm no superior to any, my faith's not superior. And if well, you don't hey, believe in what I believe, you'll still get to heaven, even the, though my, my Bible doesn't say that. And it's just, everything yep. is being done like for woke reasons, and I'm sick of it. Okay, Joy Monson, noon to three, Cairo Radio. Go with God's good grace story. Thank you again. I'm going to towel off again.